Bruce Friedman of Adult Side Broker, and welcome to Adult Side Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with Brian Sloan of Autoblow. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce the launch of our new website, Adult Site Broker 3.0, at adultsitebroker.com. The look and feel of the new site is nice and up-to-date and easier to navigate. The new site also has links to our affiliate program, ASB Cash, and our new blog. Speaking of ASB Cash, we've doubled our affiliate payouts. Now, when you refer sellers or buyers to us at Adult Site Broker, you're going to receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. You can either place a link to us on your site or refer buyers and sellers through an email introduction. ASB Cash is the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. Check out ASBCash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale a review site network, which has been growing at a good rate for years. It features one of the largest industry directories in the world. It has over 900 pages and has been gaining great traction with Google with lots of room to grow. It already gets a huge amount of organic traffic, more than other review directories with more content. It's ranking well for their main keywords. The network is making 50000 in profit most months with lots of room to grow. The best month, the network made over $68,000 in profit. Profit for the year of 2022 was 550000 The network has some of the best writers in the industry. There are also on-call developers and a full-time virtual assistant who knows every function of the site. The owner would be willing to give the new owner an outline of what could be done to further expand the business in the future. Only $2.12 million. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Brian Sloan, the inventor of the auto blow. Brian, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. A sex toy inventor, Brian Sloan, graduated from law school in 2005 but he decided he had a brighter future in the field of masturbation devices than he did helping people with their legal problems. He holds seven U.S. patents in the field of sex robotics and related technology with several more pending. Sloan has been profiled in Playboy magazine and featured in media online and on TV globally. He's working towards a future where oral sex performed on a man by a human is indistinguishable from an experience generated by his Autoblow machine. The company makes the Autoblow AI Plus and the Autoblow 2 Plus XT. They sell the devices directly to men from Autoblow.com and to stores and chains in the U.S. They also have distributors in Canada, the EU, and Australia. The majority of adult shops globally carry their two devices. So, Brian, tell me a little bit more about your background. Yeah, basically, I was um, headed toward a kind of dead-end life, I would say, <laughs> as a lawyer. When uh, when I was in law school, I discovered uh, antique auctions uh, in South Central Pennsylvania, and I started going to auctions uh, just for fun with a friend there. Uh, I bought okay. something. Uh, I sold it on eBay, made like 100 bucks, and I thought, 
oh, there must be so much more stuff to sell. And uh, it doesn't require me sitting somewhere at a desk and, uh, you know, kind of suffering. So, yeah, it started It started with that and then just sort of, uh, yeah, long long story short, it just led me to the, uh, to the sex toys universe. Uh, and I saw there was a lot of work to be done there. Absolutely. So you went to law school, but you didn't pursue a career in law. What did you do after you finished school? Yeah, so after law school, uh, I moved to Chicago and I, I bought things from auctions full time and sold them on eBay. Okay. Uh, I did mm-hmm. that for a couple of years. But during that time period, uh, two important things happened. One was that I discovered the, the universe of um, latex fetish wear as one of the categories uh, that mm-hmm. lacked sellers on eBay. And so I started to learn about the category and I started to found a factory that that uh, made interesting designs. And I started selling latex fetish wear on eBay. And at the same time, I was going to China, buying antiques there, uh, bringing them back and selling them uh, in the US. And uh, after I made a bunch of those trips, uh, I just started meeting people in Beijing. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to live in Beijing. And um, yeah, after five, uh, a couple of week trips there over that period, I just decided uh, my future might be in China, and I just moved there mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to f- sort of figure out the next steps. Okay. So what happened after that? So then um, I started first uh, making a, a direct-to-consumer brand of uh, my fetish wear. I took mm-hmm. it off of eBay and directly onto my own website. And mm-hmm. uh, then I sort of exhausted the uh, universe. Uh, the fetish wear universe, it's, uh, it's big, but it's also small. And uh, I mm-hmm. wanted a, a more scalable kind of product, so uh, yeah, I became interested in in uh, in businesses that have kind of a moral fence around them. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. once I dug into the sex toys universe, I found wow, there was a huge opportunity to make actually good um, devices for people. And mm-hmm. the only reason that there weren't more people doing it was because they were afraid of what people would think. So uh, I just sort of dug in. And uh, I, I, you know, I was there for for ten years, and basically, I started with one device, one kind of automatic stroker. I just bought from a factory and rebranded, and I moved from there to now. We've like invented our probably our, our eighth version of our uh, autoblow device in in, in thirteen wow. years. So, just sort of uh, realized that's what men, men wanted a an automatic masturbation experience, and no one was delivering mm-hmm. them one seriously. They were delivering them true novelties, you know, like kind of yeah, garbage. Yeah, like Fleshlight. Like Fleshlight no, and things like that. I, I mean, no, I, I think Fleshlight, it, 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 they make a, when I say novelty, I mean like a thing you get and it just breaks, you know? Mm. That was at the time, in 2008, the quality of the automatic uh, device. No, Fleshlight makes a high ah. quality device. They make sure. like an actual, it's, you know, the, it, for a long time, they didn't make an electronic device. But no, I think they're known for making mm-hmm. a quality device. But they were one of the few people um, in the universe of male sex toys who took quality seriously. Right. So, I mean, that was inspirational to me. And, and I said, well, if they can make a quality device that's a handheld, uh, how about I make a quality device that's that's automatic? And there wasn't hmm. one at the time that when we developed Autoblow 2 back in 2014, it was the only, uh, we were the only people who took it seriously. You know, other mm-hmm. people just created a, like, like a throwaway, uh, right. jokey kind of product. And right. yeah, so we just took it seriously. And then since then, uh, I've grown the market a lot for, you know, and, and people have started looking for, you know, kitchen appliance quality masturbators. And that's what Interesting. I, I delivered to them. Yeah. So you said that you wanted to get into a business with kind of a fence around it. 
which would be the adult industry. Why was that? Uh, I mean, just from a competitive standpoint, it didn't make sense that uh, that there was this huge industry, especially in 2008. There are a bunch more players now, still not yeah. as many players as you would expect for the amount of commerce that's flowing through the industry. Uh, True. But, but in 2008, far fewer. And I, and I thought, well, why are a very few people getting to make all the money from this entire industry? It doesn't really right. make sense. And I learned it. Sure. And, and now since 2008, sex toys have become far more acceptable, you know, in society and more talented people, I would say, have been attracted to the industry. Uh, but mm -hmm. at the time, it wasn't attracting, you know, I'm not young now. I'm, you know, 40, almost 42. But when I started, oh my I was God. really that old. <laughs> yeah. I'll be, but when I'll I started, be, I'll, be, I'll be 65 yeah. in October. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, but I'm still one of the younger, you know, people when I started yes. and I was, you know, 28 or 29. And, and I would go to events. I was like the youngest person there at 30. And now mm -hmm. there are far more people in, in that age range who are sure. part of the industry, but at least on the toy side. But at the time, it just wasn't uh, the industry was ruled by older people who had been making mm -hmm. the same things for like rebranding the same products over and over again for decades. And right. uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, there's a little something wrong <laughs> with that because people wanted better stuff, you know. Yes. So there was just opportunity, basically. So, I mean, the area that you're in, it's not just toys and novelties, but it's also sex tech. Sex tech has really come into its own and really grown in that period of time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I never call it sex tech. That seems to be like the popular thing to call it that makes mm -hmm. it acceptable. You know, mm -hmm. people often use the, the word sex tech to, to kind of mask what it is. I, I just tend not to do it. I say that mm -hmm. I make masturbation devices for men. You know, right? I I don't say, oh, I make a health device. I make a sexual, <laughs> you know, no, I say, uh, you know, I say I make a, a masturbation machine for men. Uh, right. But yeah, it's true. The interest has grown uh, immensely since I started and not just right. the interest, but I think the interest was always there, but people were afraid to buy the products. And I think the media wants views. So for whatever the reason is, they needed views. Sex was always the thing that got them views, but sex technology and sex health kind of let the mainstream media have the best of both worlds. They were able to to not do anything obscene, but to kind of couch the adult, you know, industry in like in a positive light, and it it just kind of made people feel more secure buying this kind of product for themselves. Well, the thing they call sex tech, the the numbers have gone up. Uh, to 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 huge uh, digits, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I've seen it uh, personally <laughs> in my business. I've seen the growth that we've experienced. I don't right. know anyone else's. I don't believe anybody else, unless I see their numbers. I don't believe anything. But I'm sure if something similar that what's happened to us has happened to other people, that yeah, people have grown a lot of um, medium and large scale businesses over the last ten years in this industry. So, how has your experience with the law helped you as an entrepreneur? To be honest, I think it's helped me to avoid lawyers, uh, <laughs> mainly. Uh, Excellent. And, and it, it's it's taught me that 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 uh, I, I've seen it firsthand. You know, uh, there's various. Obviously, I'm running a, a company of like a medium size. I've seen I've needed help on various things, and at the beginning, I thought oh, I'll ask a lawyer. And I think just seeing their scare tactics, I just I saw the scare tactics of lawyers for what they were, which was like hmm. a, a money generation attempt. You know, I hmm. asked uh, 
let, let's say I needed a less, let's say, for example, I, I want to have a contract with somebody for something, right? And for right. me, I don't think that's going to go wrong. I think that's like, I just want to have something for general safety, but, but I have a 98%, you know, belief that nothing's going to go wrong. Let's say mm -hmm. I would devote $2,000 to that contract, you know, uh, right. that's like my limit of my risk. But I remember once I asked a lawyer to, you know, to do something and they started trying to scare me, you know, let me tell hmm. you the story of this guy who didn't do what I said. <laughs> and he lost his cars, his house, his whole life because they sued him and he didn't have the right contract in place. And it's going to be starting at 30,000. And then I'm going to have to get this other <laughs> counsel involved, you know, and what? then, oh yeah. I mean, for a simple I, heard, contract, I, I, I don't know that it's, I mean, if, if you ask a lawyer, nothing is simple. It says it can hmm. be what I wanted was something simple. But was yeah. I 100% protected with that $2,000 contract? No. Could I have been, been better protected with a more like research put in? Yes. But was it worth spending like $30,000 on? No. Because I, don't, I didn't believe that the right. risk was there. So I think it's taught me to deal with lawyers in a, in a way that's more advantageous. And, uh, and it's also uh, helped me to understand that the, where, where you win dealing with lawyers isn't in court, but in in, 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 in finding people who are good at having conversations with other people and coming to agreements, you know, mm -hmm. that are advantageous. So, um, I sort of like learned to, to use them when necessary as a tool, but not right. to get caught up in their scare tactics of, uh, needing to spend a lot with them. <laughs> I would think though, with your background in law school, you would be qualified to write most agreements, right? I suppose. Yeah. I, I suppose. I, you learn about that, but I still wouldn't trust myself to just write it. I, I've mm. written many things myself, but yeah, uh, not I, I tend to not need that many agreements. But no, I, I also just tend to trust people who they, they've done that. I also don't trust myself. I trust someone who's been doing that same thing for 20 years. But I, it's just I had to work through a bunch of people to find the kind of guy who's like, yeah, you need that thing. I get it. You want to spend like 1500 bucks on this thing. It's not a huge thing. Okay. I'll bang it right. out like a three hours deal for you, you know, right. instead of finding someone who's always looking for the, the kill. <laughs> so and it's, it's a weird thing yeah. with that's, but that's what I learned from law school. It's kind of like what to know whether I'm being bullshitted about cost. On oh, there are work. good lawyers and there are not <laughs> yeah. so good lawyers. And yeah. <laughs> I, I think the majority are going to give you sound legal advice. At least that's been my experience. Yeah. And then there are some who, like you said, are looking for the kill. So yeah, and they and they both. I'm sure they, they the ones uh, all of them can give sound legal advice. But there's a uh, sure. you know there's people who want long term relationships. Anyway, it just helped me to be choosy and working with lawyers. But no, I don't think that. Uh, mm -hmm. I think in the end, like in the broader way, it helped me to understand that I could teach myself how to do things. In, right, you know, I, right. I didn't know anything. I'm not an engineer. I'm not mm. a, a programmer. Uh, right. I wasn't a marketer at the beginning, but I became one by learning. And I think once, you know, mm. when you get to law school, they, they, one of the first classes you take is civil procedure and it's mm -hmm. hard and none of it makes sense until the end. And I think once you've been through sort of courses like that, then it's like, mm -hmm. well, I guess I could learn how to have a website made. Like that doesn't seem harder than civil procedure, you know? So mm. I think it just sort of, shows showed me like that there was something that's really hard for me and then other things seemed in comparison less hard mm -hmm. got it so why did you decide on an automated male sex toy that was common sense that's the kind of masturbation device at the time imagine think 2008 what was mm. for sale that wasn't handheld right yeah 
uh, it was all handheld stuff or like big right. rubber butts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it would, I mean, I wasn't even, to be honest, I wasn't a sex toy user really at the time, mm-hmm. but I just knew if there was a machine that could give you a blowjob, that that's something that men would want. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was just basic. Absolutely. And I looked on the market, like who's, who's making a good one. And it's like, wait a minute, no one's making a, <laughs> blowjob machine that's nuts so i think it was right. just kind of common sense uh i don't know how no one really put the time into it before but i think it's because the money was coming to people so easily making garbage yeah. that they didn't need to do the work like it's hard to make a nice hardware it, it needs a couple right. years of development per device mm-hmm. you need to hire like kind of more expert level people and it's and if you could just make you know, another fake butt, why would you go through the trouble? So that's, I think that was the mentality of people in in the industry at the time. And it still is the mentality of, you know, a good percentage uh, because they don't need Mm -hmm. to innovate because they have their enough money already, basically. Well, although I've noticed in the last, I'd say five to seven years, there is a tremendous amount more product and there's even more websites out there they seem to be popping up all the time. If you just look at how many products there are, there are a lot. But if you look at how many products are getting the sales, I would say mm-hmm. it's the 80-20 rule that applies to yeah. virtually everything in the world. Yeah, that's and, true. And uh, 20% of the products are getting 80% of the sales. And then 80, and then the eight, it split the 80-20 again. And then you start to see real where the real volume is in that. Yeah. So a lot of the products are also kind of copying you know if you look at the popular products that actually get the sales they have 10 types of products you know are trying to copy the success of every one of the actually popular products so it's true you know uh you lived you lived in in china that's done a lot there yeah uh it is and you know what uh they're very good at it and it works and it's a good idea and that's actually how innovation happens when they were first making those uh, suction toys, the womanizer and the satisfier, you know, I remember seeing a, a factory, you know, and they were, o- th- those toys only had the suction thing for women. And then I saw a factory came out with, it's the suction thing on the one side and a vibrator like on the other side, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's uh, innovation. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Well, talk a little bit about your invention process. I'm not an engineer, but I, I, I have pretty clear ideas on how I want my devices to work. I tend to work with like small sort of specialty companies. Like there's a company, mm-hmm. a very small company, like three to five guys in Canada that helped me develop Autoblow AI. I know exactly like what I wanted to do and kind of how, and then I need engineers to like make it reality. And then, right. so I, I work with these guys in Canada. And then after they kind of came out with a physical prototype, it's really important. The factory that I work with in China then takes that thing. Like they made a thing that would be very expensive to ma- to manufacture. And then my mm-hmm. factory in China is very good at taking that. They're figuring out how to make it for a cost that would make it like mass marketable. So okay. uh, I think I'm just like, I, I think my skill set is really about um, sort of having like the vision and then just finding and uh, motivating the, the right people along the way to do the steps that I, I don't know how to do. You know, got it. Um, and and keeping Sounds it like on a good track. process. Sounds like a yeah. good process. Yeah, I think it's a normal so, process. <laughs> hmm, okay, so you have two devices. How are they different? Um, so the Autoblow uh, two two plus. It's we call it Autoblow two plus XT, but that's like the third or fourth iteration of Autoblow two. 
Mm-hmm. That was the first one that became popular after the an original one, which was we sold kind of a bunch of the original one, but it wasn't like popular. It wasn't sold like in stores or anything. Um, mm-hmm. Autoblow 2 basically has a motor and uh, a kind of crank arm that's connected to that motor. And it drives this row three or well, now it's five rows of like spring loaded beads um, up mm-hmm. and down over a, a rubber sleeve. It was the popular product before. It was our. It was the most popular product uh, in the automatic toy space, and still okay. we have a, um, a lot of volume of that. But it is not the latest product. So that one is kind of the good thing about it is that I think it gets the job done, and um, I think it comes at a competitive price point. It's like a hundred and fifty dollar product, but it's loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's relatively mm-hmm. loud. It's not a quiet product, and um, it just has one dial on it that controls for speed. And the, the okay. sleeve is removable. So that was like one of the innovations was that you can remove the sleeve. And actually mm-hmm. on that one, the sleeve has three different sizes. So mm-hmm. n- normally products don't control for your penis size, but ours controls for penis size and tightness level mm-hmm. by creating different sizes of sleeves, like there are bra sizes for women. Uh-huh. Uh, so the newer one, which is Autoblow AI Plus, which is the mm-hmm. second generation of Autoblow AI, that's a, mm-hmm. a totally different thing. Like we have several patents on the on the move on the, uh, the the mechanism so basically the new one has a, a, a it uses a 100% silicone sleeve you put your penis into the device into the into the sleeve which is in the device and there's a penis gripper and that gripper actually you can modify the tightness level of that with a screwdriver there's a hole on the top and you put a screwdriver in and you can make the gripper tighter or looser depending on your personal preference and uh, so it it manipulates that sleeve um, up and down over your penis, uh, really causing like more of this gliding and sliding action that that occurs during real blowjobs. And it has uh, so it's it has uh, four buttons: has a pause button, a speed buttons, and a, and a blowjob mode button. And it has ten LEDs, so you can always see which blowjob experience you're in and which uh, speed you're in. But importantly, it also connects to uh, the internet, so the device itself connects to the internet. Uh, and it uses a web app, so there's no app to download mm-hmm. it. You basically visit a web page on your phone okay. or whatever device. You can mm-hmm. control exactly which part of your penis it strokes on that. You can download. There's a blowjob library, so you can download from mm-hmm. a library of blowjobs additional blowjobs onto the device. You can uh, send easily a link to a remote partner, and the minute, the, the second that they click that link, they're automatically logged into the web app, and they can control the device for you. Oh, wow. And it's um, it's the first sex toy ever that has voice control. So it has voice control built onto the um, like the device or the chip itself. And yeah. uh, there's no wake word. So it takes six voice commands once you're in yeah. the online mode. You can tell it faster, slower, um, <laughs> pause, finish me is the big one yeah. that t- turns the AI mode on in the fastest uh, speed level to, to finish you. So And yeah, long story short, we did a machine learning study of the actions that occur during blowjobs. So that um, and we implemented the 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 action you know the the uh, movements that occur during real blowjobs uh, are the movements we programmed into the machine. So it's not just like a few guys sat around and thought, well, what do we make it do? And it's like oh, it just goes up <laughs> and down, or it does this or that. Yeah. No, we actually understood. We're the first people to understand what happens during real blowjobs, and and um, and to implement those kind of movements um, into the machine. So. Yeah, it's a different experience. It's a more expensive product. It's a two hundred and forty dollar product now, or two hundred fifty dollar product. But it's a different level of uh, of experience, um, you know, for people yeah. that can afford the extra hundred bucks. It sounds a uh, very space age. Are you 
uh, you said a, a remote partner can control it. Is there any point where the remote partner will be able to give a device a blowjob and you'll get that blowjob? There are people who've implemented that. None have been implemented on a on a product that's commercially interesting, I think, to the public. It's hmm. not an area that I focus on. Certainly, you can do it, but I don't see that that's where the public wants to go with this with the hmm. technology. There are popular internet products for women. It's like the, the Lovins uh, brand or the Oh My Bot brand are used by webcam mm-hmm. models, and it's mainly used mm-hmm. by women, and men control that. I don't think that many women uh, want to control men's devices outside of like a, a paid situation. So we don't. I don't really focus on this uh, connect. I, I focus on it can do that, and there are a, probably a, some people who will use it, but I don't think it's like the big, the future is in you know, a woman giving like a, or whoever giving a blowjob to like a, a dildo and the, the device moving. I just don't see it that uh, people would rather not do it, I feel. Interesting. <laughs> it's possible. I could implement it if I wanted to, but I, I don't want to. Okay. Yeah, just uh, something that came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> what gives the, what gives the auto blow an advantage over the competition? Um, so, Basically, the the way that it uh, the newer version, at least the way that it grips the penis and does this gliding and sliding, it feels great. Not only does it feel good, but I, I feel that that our our experiences are are more realistic than what uh, the competing products do, and our mm-hmm. internet feature set is far simpler to use than right. the competing products uh, feature set. We're like mm-hmm. after you tell it how to connect to the internet, we're like one tap, basically hold a button. Uh, press go and you basically are are in. There's no Bluetooth. Hmm. There's no configuring. There's no. Um, it's. I think it's a lot more user friendly because I've seen from competing products that have internet features. A lot of people have trouble making it work because they use Bluetooth hmm. and Bluetooth is yeah. a big pain in the ass. And so we avoid hmm. it by using yep. Wi-Fi only. Cool. So you have a very funny video on the website. I loved it. Um, how did you come up with it and what kind of response has it gotten? Yeah. So from the time that I, I first made, uh, auto blow two, I decided to communicate, uh, to, to, to people through cartoons, uh, especially because I feel there's a lot of people who might buy a sex or they might not. They, they, I feel like it, it takes it out of the realm of being sleazy and it's just something like funny. I just like communicating. I, I feel like it's unusual to see cartoons of an adult nature. So people are already kind of like, oh, this is like actually a cartoon about like a blowjob machine. So they're, I don't know, they're kind of interested. And I I have fun. Like this is what I, th- I think I'm good at doing. So I, I enjoy doing it. I write though. So I, like I write them. I, I, I write out how everything should go. And then I, uh, there's a, a, a company that I work with who implements the, my ideas and, and uh, I get the voiceovers made and stuff. So. I think it's kind of like half of it is that it's fun for me. And the second yeah. half is that when we started doing it, it worked and people liked yeah. being communicated with sure. in, in that way. So I, I just kept kept doing it. Well, that company's very good at what they do. I might have to get the name from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how have you gotten so much press over the years? I understand what kind of f- product features are interesting from a mm-hmm. societal perspective you know mm-hmm. it's like if you're like oh look i made this new pair of headphones it's like no one cares you know like maybe they're a little better than other <laughs> headphones but you're not getting in the news over it right right so right. i've only, i've done some outrageous things that have like that have a, a big impact uh mm-hmm. on, on on people for example you know the the reason autoblow uh two went viral when we started was that 
I crowdfunded it on a crowdfunding website. And the the thing, the crazy thing was that people started buying it. We sold hundreds of thousands of dollars worth on a crowdfunding website and no one had ever <laughs> crowdfunded an adult product for that much money before. Wow. So the store, and, and I use myself. So people were like, not only did people, like thousands of people buy this blowjob machine on a crowdfunding website, but can you believe this guy who was like promoting <laughs> it? Like it's outrageous. So <laughs> uh, I kind of learned sort of how to deliver something that was both like societally, like relevant to society, but but also mm-hmm. uh, interesting and kind of funny and, and shareable. And I think mm-hmm. the other big one that that uh, we did was the vagina contest. So we had a huge scale vaginal beauty contest. Uh, it was on oh, this geez. website, vaginacontest.com. And I think it would never fly <laughs> today. They would never write about vaginacontest.com today. But you know what? Well, in 2000, not with me too. <laughs> no, in 2015, it just like hit a nerve and it went viral all over the world and millions of Jeez. people started visiting the website and it ended with a a, a website um, came to Germany to to make a short documentary about me and <laughs> the women who came to who are the winners of the contest when I 3D scanned them. So, Funny. you know, I think it's about kind of creating entertainment. There's like a mix of entertainment and commerce that I think I sort of just uh, sort of understand how to hit. What's your vision on using tech in different ways than other adult toy companies are doing? Yeah, so, uh, you know, on this topic of voice control, there's so, companies are, even the couple companies that focus on high tech, I don't think they're mm-hmm. really having like the uh, that that big of a vision of, of what kind of technology is possible to implement in mm-hmm. adult toys that other people just haven't done. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I just looked around and said, look, uh, cell phones, uh, we, we are all talking to our uh, Siri and Alexa or whatever, mm-hmm. but why hasn't anyone implemented it in sex ways? It's natural for people to continually sure. talk to their phone or their Alexa. So, you know, the voice control is just an example of something that, you know, it's just opportunity. Like no one has done that. And it's, it wasn't mm-hmm. easy to do. Like that was a lot of work. And, and I think how much work it is, you know, nor, if you, if you've looked the, the products that implement those kind of things normally are in much larger companies you know, yeah. with much larger budget. So we had to be pretty scrappy to do it. And I wouldn't say ours is not like as accurate as Alexa or something, right? But it's <laughs> it's pretty good for who we are and like our, the budget and, and stuff, right? So sure. I think people are just afraid of like figuring out how to do awesome technology for less. And maybe mm-hmm. they're afraid of releasing stuff that's like, you know, ours is like in the, let's say it's around 85% accurate. Siri and Alexa are like, in the high nineties, right? Hmm. I'm not afraid to release that and say, yeah, it's like pretty accurate. It's not going to be perfect, you know, but I think some companies don't want to do things that aren't perfect, but I think we're happy to do something cool and just tell people like, don't expect that we're going to be Apple because we're not, but (laughs) you know, so yeah, I think it's just a a level of comfort with figuring out how to do stuff with new technology and, and being comfortable not doing it absolutely perfectly. Sure. What do you think the future holds for adult novelty companies regarding uh, acquisitions and mergers? Yeah, so this is something, uh, you know, a, a company has already uh, contacted us, but I, I don't think it's really my time to sell. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions happening. It's particularly in Europe. Uh, two big mm-hmm. companies have started buying up uh, smaller companies. It's coming. Uh, it's interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, if this was any other industry, okay, it would have started... Uh, 10 years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. So the fact that it's just starting and there's a few big companies playing around, it means that more of them are coming. 
and there's going to be a lot of consolidation. I'd say in the next 10 years, there's sure. going to be a ton of consolidation and you know whether or not those I don't know what the future looks like of the industry with those companies honestly but uh I think there's going to be opportunity for people who want to sell uh but I think it also might get harder. You know one of the risks for us making this kind of product is imagine you know if if you look at what we can do with my you know small medium company what if Sony decided it was going to make a blowjob machine? What if Samsung decided to make vibrators? Like those right. people can can those those giant you know global companies have they could make amazing adult products, right? Sure. So I think there's opportunity from the from from the acquisitions, but it just depends if any giant companies uh, you know will will start competing. I think it's going to be kind of risky for everyone in the industry. But I, I don't think we're there yet that those global companies will, will come in. But who knows, in maybe 20 or 25 years, they could have run out of other things to make and they could come for us. So, Sure. So what's the future for Autoblow? We have a few more pieces of hardware now in development, really focused on this kind of automatic experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think about kind of the medium term. I think about really only the next one or two years. We have a okay. couple new new pieces of hardware that we're working on. So I'm young. I'm I'm only 42, and I have still a lot of runway mm-hmm. left to uh, continue to figure out, uh, ve- you know, new styles of devices with with all the new technology that keeps coming out. You know, there mm-hmm. were some motor types, for example. There was a type of motor I looked at like a couple of years ago. We bought samples to play with. They were $600 a piece just for the motor. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but they were silent. But you can imagine in a few years that maybe that kind of $600 silent motor. Uh, becomes a you know a fifty dollars silent motor or a twenty dollars silent motor, and then interesting things become possible. So I think just by staying really, I, I read a lot on the internet all day, kind of every day. So yeah. I think that uh, as long as I, I sort of keep reading about the latest technologies, I'll keep finding interesting new technologies to implement into products and sort of continue having our own little walled garden of masturbation devices. Very good. So do you see the auto blow? And sex robots somehow merging into something greater at some point? Yeah. You know, the the, the media loves sex robots because they're outrageous. Uh, oh, but sure. I don't I don't think there's any future in the next like decades, at least, in these humanoid style of robots. People hmm. don't really wanna have sex with a robot person. It's bizarre. I mean, it's like having sex with a corpse, okay? Like I mean, even if you make it its mouth kind of talk to you or whatever, it's not, I mean, it's not, it's, it's like a, it's like a dead person. So there's a a very small group of people who, who more buy those kind of uh, dolls uh, for like more companionship reasons, which I can understand because, you know, people are different. So I understand the companionship, you know, um, aspect, but on the mass market, it's just not a convenient thing to own, you know, a human sized thing that needs to live in your closet. So I think that the growth is really only going to happen on devices like ours. I think devices like mine will get better and quieter and maybe smaller, maybe even bigger, depending on what they can do. But the doll market will always be there and will always be people kind of trying to put robotics and dolls into the same sort of category. But I, I don't see it for at least my lifetime becoming a product that most people are interested in just because it doesn't do anything back to you. It's not Westworld. It's, it just lays there, <laughs> you know? So, you know, when they, they, when they did make it, honestly, when they did make the robots that, that kind of talk, 
I was thinking the thing that they made the robot do is talk. That's they want it to like move on your body when you're having sex with it. But as long as it just lays there, I think that's a kind of a, a, a niche, a very niche market. Well, what if they do develop it so it actually moves? Yeah, like if a robot sits in your lap and kind of like has sex with you. But it's still, it's going to be, it's not going to be like fluid like a human. It's going to be like they right. installed some kind of thing in it and it's like hips go back and forth, like, you know, almost like killing you. It's not going to be like a gentle, it, we're a long way off from a gentle robot, robot, humanoid robot experience. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> well, well, Brian, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk. And I hope we'll get a chance to do this again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. My broker tip today is part six of what to do to make your site more valuable for when you decide to sell it later. Last week, we talked about eliminating unneeded expenses. Next, you can trademark your website. Having a trademark instantly protects your brand and makes your site more valuable when it comes time to sell it. Trademarking your site will cost an average of about $1,500, but should be more than worth the investment when it comes time to sell it. Show buyers ways you feel the site can make more money in the future. This includes showing them future plans you may have, traffic trends, as well as sales trends. If things are growing and you can show them how to grow it more, they're likely to be willing to pay more for the site. Do something unique with your site. If you have competitors, figure a way to do it better. Be different in some distinguishable way that makes you better. Your members will notice and spend more money with you. Make your site a place that people want to visit, not just to buy things or view porn. Be creative, not just one of the many. Keep thinking outside the box and make positive changes to your site. Think like a buyer when planning or updating your site. Don't think like a tech. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week we'll be speaking with Chris of Saucy Time. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Brian Sloan of Autoblow. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman. <laughs>